Come on. Welcome to Money Savage, a savage approach to personal finance. This is George Grombacher, and the time is right. Welcome to today's guest, the strong and powerful Peter Dunn, better known as Pete the Planner. Pete, are you ready to do this? I am. I, I'm intimidated by uh, being in, in with the, the money savage. So uh, thanks for having me, George. Well, excellent. Let's do this. Pete is an award-winning comedian as well as an award-winning financial mind. He is a USA Today columnist, the author of 10 books, as well as the host of the popular Pete the Planner radio show and the Million Dollar Plan podcast. I'm excited to have you on. Pete, tell us a little bit about your personal life, your professional background, and why it is you do what you do. Well, I've uh, been in the financial business for about 20 years now. I was a financial advisor for about half of that. Uh, and about halfway along that path, I sort of figured out that people's financial habits, their personal habits were really struggling. So that's when I dipped my toe into financial wellness around 2005. By 2008, I was doing financial wellness in the workplace. And by 2012, I said, hey, enough of my personal practice. Let's sell this thing and really focus all of our efforts on uh, personal finance in the workplace. Also, I guess these days we call it financial wellness. So that's what we do. We serve hundreds of thousands of people a year. We have a lot of cool partnerships with big companies. Uh, and I live here in Indianapolis, Indiana area uh, with my wife and two kids when I'm not on an airplane. So I from occasionally hang out with them. It's pretty nice. <laughs> awesome. And I saw on, on, on your website a lot that really resonated with me, but something that really stuck out was that it's your desire that you want your kids to grow up in a world that values personal responsibility and financial independence. And that is seemingly lacking, even though as a country we seem to be doing pretty well, but uh, but there's some things that are missing. And that's, I, I don't know if there's any question in there. Yeah, you know, uh, I'll answer this question with sort of a weird thing that I've been stewing on here recently. I, I was reading a study a couple weeks ago from the University of Utah. Uh, it was a medical study, George, and it said that 45% of patients believe they are personally responsible for their health. And 44% of patients believe the number one factor, the number one entity primarily responsible for their health is their physicians. So, George, if you're like me, the first time you hear that, you're thinking, well, that's certainly the death of personal responsibility, right? 40, 44% of people think that their own health is someone else's main priority. And um, when I think about our personal finances, it, it's not too different. Um, years ago, decades ago, um, our financial success really wasn't our own responsibility. And that sounds weird, but it's true. With the pension system, with Social Security, back in the 1970s, people retired successfully all the time and did nothing because of it, right? They, they didn't cause their successful retirement. I, my grandfather's my favorite person that's ever walked this earth. Uh, and he didn't do anything up to work for, for 30 years uh, to retire successfully. That's not to suggest, by the way, George, that showing up for work for 30 years is nothing. But right. in relation to this conversation, it's nothing. Today, the only way people successfully retire is because they have taken personal responsibility for their retirement. Pensions have gone away for the most part. Social Security was never meant to be um, anything other than a safety net. So what keeps me up at night in this whole situation is that the game has changed. And I'm not sure people figured that out when it started to happen in the 1980s. And a lot of people are under the, the idea or under the understanding 
that something's going to swoop in and save him at retirement because that's just not the case. And the evidence doesn't point to that. I definitely agree. It is uh, everything you said really resonates with me. And there is some, I don't know if it's new skills. It's probably a combination of new skills, but new habits, which are, which are really essential if people are going to change their, their behaviors. Cause right now it's not really working very well. What would you say is an area that if people made an improvement in, would give them the greatest return? Well, this is a pretty deep answer, and it's probably way deeper than we can cover in the time we have together, so that's always a good answer, right? I think we lack self-control. I, I think, um, you know, we, we look at, well, what's one financial tip? Uh, I don't really care about financial tips. I, I care about behavior. Um, I think we struggle with our health as a nation because of behavior and self-control issues, and I think we struggle with our money, which is just another resource. Because of self-control issues, I think that when people make a sacrifice, a financial sacrifice, that we, we sort of unnecessarily martyr ourselves in those situations when really what we should be doing is we should be getting the buzz off of self-control. Here's an example. George, uh, when I travel, I love to have a cheeseburger and french fries and a beer at any airport I'm in. Uh, I just That's what I, I usually have done in the past. And when I was trying to get healthier – what I would do is I would not do that. I would order some stupid grilled chicken salad and then I'd <laughs> text my wife and, and look for accolades of how wonderful that is. That, that is – that's some weird martyrdom, right? It's, it's like, OK, I'm going to sacrifice and, and the big victory is in the sacrifice and then time would go by and then sometimes I wouldn't sacrifice. George, I think what we're trying to do is we're trying to get to a point where that is not considered a sacrifice. What Instead, what I'm doing as I'm indulging in the idea of self-control, I'm saying, look, to accomplish what I want to accomplish, I just can't eat this. And I'm not bothered by it. It's not a sacrifice. I'm not texting my wife saying, hey, I didn't get a burger today. Like the pleasure is in the satisfaction, right? So sometimes what we off, what we do with money and with our health is that we – sacrifice and then that becomes the focus whereas when you're trying to save for retirement you're the only person that's going to affect it to work your plan effectively you can't view things as sacrifices you have to view them as self-control and i know like i said super deep super weird but that's where i'm at now mentally right now and when we teach this stuff is that we're actually trying to teach people satisfaction we're trying to teach people to value satisfaction and self-control over pleasure which is easier said than done no, no doubt about it. And it is, it is a matter of replacing bad habits with good ones and somehow linking the behavior or the way that we respond to things with a positive reward. So it's just like you're talking about, instead of being a martyr about these things, replacing that martyrdom with self-control and making that a positive thing. So, Yeah, I know. And, and good habits are interesting because I, I find whether it's, again, fitness or, or money, there's this six-week barrier. That for the first six weeks, it is martyr. Six weeks, it's martyrdom, right? And and beyond that, though, that's when it sort of develops into to self control. Uh, if we go back to this horrible cheeseburger metaphor for a second, <laughs> for, for six weeks, I, I'm I'm sending a text saying I didn't have the cheeseburger. But by the sixth week, going into the seventh week, I don't even care anymore because it it really has defined itself as to what I am doing. And and financially, totally the same way. We we say things like. Well, I'm not going to dine out tonight and that's – we're sacrificing. You know, We're going to sell the things we don't use. I mean you hear all these personal finance tips. But just like any bad diet, they go away if you don't stick with them. And so it, what I find is that people 
quit before that six-week hump is overcome. And then they have to start over all over again a couple years later when they're forced to care again. Good stuff. I also saw on your website that one of the, the main areas that, that, that you want to encourage people to focus on is clearly and calmly being able to communicate about money with, uh, with loved ones or other people will definitely save a relationship. And I think that as a country, money is one of the last off-limit topics that we really don't talk about, and so we're not good at it. I'd like to get your opinion and your take on that in general, but really specifically how you counsel people to have healthy conversations about money. Yeah, I, I guess I would start that this is a good problem to have because it's indicative that you and your significant other were raised by different people, <laughs> which, George, that's a good thing, <laughs> right? So I mean, this problem is caused by, uh, again, the fact that you're raised by different people. So uh, I don't know why we expect to enter in a relationship with someone else and then for, for us to be on the same page financially. I mean, it's nearly impossible. Why, why would you be? I mean, right. you were raised by one or two people or four, I don't know, your upbringing. And then those people were raised by different people. And, you know, it's just impossible. So what we try to do when we teach people about how to get along financially is to just accept your partner for where they came from, but don't give them the excuses to stay there. And, and I also think that too often people say, well, I'm not good at this, or he's not good at this, or she's not good at this, therefore, the other person does it. I, that's a garbage excuse that never ends up working. Uh, I, I think, like anything, with a good relationship, not only do you have to work at it, but your finances, you need to have regular money conversations. There are small businesses that earn less money than some normal households in America today, Yet those small businesses have better financial structure than these households that make more money than they do. So why, why would you not have some reporting system or some discussion with your sort of makeshift CFO, and your makeshift co-CFO? Um, so we encourage a monthly conversation. We like about 20 minutes a month. We prefer the fifth. I don't know why, uh, other than it's early in the month. So you can look at the previous month and you still have time to plan for the upcoming month. But about a 20-minute discussion, we don't like spontaneous money conversations. We find those to be ineffective, and they often cause too much emotion. So if you know it's going to happen on the 5th of each month, George, you're more likely to come prepared and ready to do business. Nice. Well, I think that that's, that's excellent advice. And setting a specific day, even though when somebody probably hears that, they think, well, that's arbitrary and random. Why the fifth? But I think it's important just probably to, 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 to pick a date, right? So, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it is arbitrary and random, but it's better than uh, sometime in the first week or uh, within the first two weeks. Cause then that gets away from you and, and then you lose control. Excellent. So I also was, was, was going through some of, uh, some of the great stuff on your website. And I saw that you, you had a, a watershed moment, for lack of a better term, uh, a couple of years back, where you weren't really ever talking about helping people become millionaires, but then something changed, and now that is something that that you are focused on. Yeah, and and and, and let's get out of the gate with this by saying how cheesy that really does sound, and how I I admit that sounds horrific. It sounds like it's a scam. Like I'm going to email you, and you're going to give me an account number, and <laughs> like it just sounds horrific. But it it really is. It, it's a couple things. Number one, in the financial world, we don't focus enough on creating millionaires. From a financial 
advisor standpoint, in fact, if you talk to enough financial advisors, really what they try to do is to find millionaires and be their advisors, mm. right? Like, which, I, which is always used to bother me when I was a financial advisor. Shouldn't your job be to take someone who is not a millionaire and make them a millionaire? So, so that's number one. Uh, number two is uh, it goes to the first thing we talked about here today. If pensions are disappearing, Social Security is not enough, and we all know math. The math supports you're going to have to be a millionaire. I, I don't know why we beat around the bush to say in order to recreate your income stream or any semblance of your income stream in retirement perpetually, you will need at least at least seven figures set away. Um, that wasn't always the case, but it's definitely the case going forward for anyone in their 20s, 30s, and 40s. You have to be a millionaire. Inflation alone makes that reality. Um and so we're trying to demystify it a little bit because I don't know, George, I don't know. I'm, I'm 40 years old. I'm not saying you have to tell me your age, but I grew up in a time where being a millionaire really had some mystique to it, right? I mean, it was like, oh, a millionaire. Still pretty great. Uh, but I would say it needs to become a, a lot less magical and mystical if people are going to believe that it's the solution to their problem. And again, that's what we're trying to, to effort is, is just a more realistic down to earth conversation about having seven figures set aside. Right. And I don't, I think that it, that is still sort of a, sort of a term that needs to be demystified and people need to, to get to the place where they actually think and believe that they can become a millionaire because they have to, to your point. Yeah, and that's uh, that's tough, right? I mean, you talk to uh, you talk to a twenty-two-year-old about being a millionaire, they shouldn't flinch because mm-hmm. that's easy for them, and and I, and I mean it. You talk to a fifty-two-year-old and you introduce a concept to a fifty-two-year-old about them being a millionaire. Hey, man, I'm going to be honest. That ship has sailed, right? It's right. you've lost thirty years of compounding. You're in trouble. The twenty-two-year-old is the one with the shot, and that's why. When we talk about being a millionaire, we, we specifically mean it for people in their 20s, 30s, and 40s because once you figure this out and you're in your 50s, man, it's it's pretty much too late. Indeed. It is pretty much too late. Time is probably the most powerful ally that we have or our biggest enemy. So, Yeah, you know, you talk about what people understand and don't understand. I, I think that point is, is, is it, George. People don't understand money is about time, not about dollars. If you don't understand that this is about a losing time, then you've missed the boat. And I think people in your position that have podcasts like this, that's the great message you're able to deliver is that this is a time problem, not a money problem. There's a word that I don't know when, I know it's been around forever, but I feel like it's become a lot more prevalent and and on the tips of more people's tongues. And that word is deserve. And I think (laughs) that it potentially has some really, really negative impacts on our ability to be financially successful. Wanted to get your take on that. Well, I mean, you always get what you deserve. I mean, <laughs> you really do. In the end, you get exactly what you deserve. Now, there's there's luck, right? And there's, you know, there, there's a situation. I try to explain this. I have an eight and a five-year-old. You try to explain luck and hard work to an eight and a five-year-old. I mean, it, it really falls apart pretty quickly. Uh, some people are given more opportunity than others. Um, but deserves tough. Listen, listen to any radio commercial uh, you deserve a new car. You deserve right. a nice place to live. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't believe that at all. I, you're right. I mean, it, it goes to this idea of entitlement. The funny thing is, people think millennials are entitled, which I disagree with. I don't think millennials enti- are entitled at all. I think they're expectant, which is to say things have generally worked out for them 
And so they expect that that to continue. That's not to say they are entitled to success. I think millennials are very hardworking. Yeah, that's interesting, right? The whole deserve thing drives me nuts. I mean, sometimes it really drives me nuts. I, I just happen to be at a time right now where I have, I'm not losing my mind over <laughs> I deserve this and I deserve that. Because, again, I think it all works out in the end in sort of this sad, karmic way. <laughs> now, I think that you saying that you get what you deserve and you always get what you deserve is the perfect answer to that. Because if you think that you deserve things and then you act irresponsibly financially and in other ways, then you will, when it's all said and done, you will have what you deserve and it's probably not going to be a very good outcome. So, Yeah. Um, and I also agree with you that I think that millennials get a bad rap. Number one, I just hate when people use labels and then lump human beings into those labels because we're all individuals and there's certainly millennials out there that exercise excellent personal responsibility and probably a lot of millennials that don't at all. So it's just yeah. excellent. Well, Pete, Savage Nation is ready for your difference-making tip. Even though I know that you are not all that big on financial tips, I'm still going to ask you for one. So what do you have for them? You know, I think anytime you look at your personal finances and you feel stress, I th think two things. Number one, so I'm going to not only give you one tip, George. I'm going to give you two tips, yes. a double, a, a, a secret tip. <laughs> You're getting a secret tip, bonus tip. Uh, the first tip is this: um, financial stress is a sign that something is wrong, and your job is then to rectify what's wrong, not to deal with the stress by beating it down. I think we've become too tolerant of our financial stress, which means we ignore problems. You know, it's like, well, financial stress has decreased in this country. Well, that doesn't mean anyone's any better. It just means we're more tolerant of stupid situations, which I think is bad. But to deal with stress uh, effectively, I like people to look at it and say, okay, what's my problem? Do, you ha do I have an expense problem or do I have an income problem? I think too often people look at their situation and just assume it's an income problem when it's most often an expense problem. If you have an income problem, George, that's good news, dude, because you can just get another job, like an additional job. And that that sounds condescending, but it's not. It's 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 very pragmatic. If you have an expense problem, well, that stinks, man, because that means you're going to have to dig deep and change your habits. And that is not fun. It is not easy. And <laughs> most people would rather blame their income than to blame themselves. So I, I think that's the tip. Look, look to see if your problem is an expense problem or an income problem. Well, that is great stuff. And that definitely gets a come on. Come on. So Yeah, nice. Thank you for that, sir. And I, I definitely agree. I think people focus so much on the money coming in the front door and they don't pay close enough attention to what's going out the back door. So, so Pete, thank you for coming on. Where can Savage Nation learn more about you? Yeah, George, PeteThePlanner.com is a good place to go. And, uh, you know, we have a podcast called The Pete The Planner Show, and you can find it on uh, iTunes. We're probably right behind George's in the <laughs> rankings, so right behind yours. <laughs> yes, 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 indeed. Well, I can definitely, uh, definitely vouch for all of Pete's material. The stuff on his website is excellent. His podcast is excellent, so definitely encourage everyone to check it out. And Savage Nation, if you've enjoyed this as much as I did, also show Pete some appreciation and share today's show Share today's show with somebody who also appreciates good ideas. Thank you again, Pete. No, my pleasure, George. And until next time, keep fighting the good fight because we're all in this together. What's up, Savage Nation? Please support the show by subscribing, leave us a review, 
and definitely feel free to share us with somebody you think would like it. Come on.